loving God, we recognize uh, how good you are. And we recognize your presence in this place that you've promised. For two or more are gathered in your name, you are here. And so we recognize your presence. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Be that voice in our head and our heart, nudging us on to how you have created and designed us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. Amen. Have you ever met somebody that you wish you didn't? <laughs> you ever have that person or that relationship that you just regret? I'm thinking about a situation in college, and I had a group of friends that I, I chose to be friends with, and the consequence of that is that by my relationship with them is that it kept me from a relationship really with other people that I should have been in a relationship with. And so as we talk through this series of guardrails, we're going to get into that in a minute, I wanted to just for a moment pause and connect last week when John talked about we gather together, we gather with one another, that we as a body of believers, or, and even not yet believers, we come together to do life together, to share with one another, to... Um, and finding that person, finding those people in your life that you can have and help you walk through life is vital to our faith. And as we talk through this series through guardrails, I want to ask you, I'm going to invite you to ask God that question. Who has God put into your life who can help you hold up a mirror to yourself? Who can help you when you start to stray and drift maybe into areas that are not healthy? And so we're going to come back to that. We talk about hope groups. We talk about accountability a lot because that is what this faith is all about. And so as you sit here, I want you to be thinking, invite you to be thinking about who God has maybe put into your life. One or two people that you can come along, that come alongside you, you can do this together as we experience and we dig into what guardrails are. So I'm really looking forward to this. So we can get on the same page. We all pretty much know what guardrails are, but the actual definition is that a guardrail is a system designed to, to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. And you generally find guardrails in bridges, medians, and curves. Bridges to keep you from like, driving off into the abyss. Um, in medians to protect you from oncoming traffic or possibly oncoming traffic to you, from you. Um, on curves, because there are oftentimes unexpected changes in the road. But guardrails accomplish two things in particular. They direct us and they protect us. They direct us and protect us. And another thing for us to uh, be important to understand over the next couple weeks is that guardrails are not placed in the danger zone. They are placed in the safety zone. They're always placed just a few feet away from what is dangerous. If there, no, no, if there were no guardrails when you were driving on a bridge, let's say, you could drive really close to the edge without going over, but we wouldn't recommend that. In fact, most of us wouldn't argue with the placement of where guardrails are on a bridge. Um, even, so the other thing about guardrails is um, that maybe some of you have experienced this, is that their intended purpose is to minimize the damage that you would inflict on your, on your car if they weren't there. So the, guard, the damage you would get from running into a guardrail would hopefully be less than what you would experience if it wasn't there. 
So why are we talking about guardrails? Why is this important for us? And the reason is, is that the highway, the byways, the bridges, are not the only places where guardrails are important. In fact, if we're perfectly honest, and we all had to go around the room, I bet most people in here could share a story, maybe agree that your biggest regrets could have been avoided if you had had some guardrails in your lives. If we had some financial guardrails, some moral guardrails, some relational guardrails, maybe even some professional guardrails. Which means that our future regrets can be avoided if we put some personal guardrails in place today. So the challenge, and we'll talk about this over the next couple of weeks, is this, is that the culture that we live in, the world we're in today, does not really encourage guardrails. Would you agree? In fact, they don't really encourage any kind of rules or any kind of firm guidelines. In fact, the culture is perfectly content with painted lines. Suggestions, you know, maybe some warnings, but the culture doesn't like guardrails. And when you begin to establish guardrails, and when people find out about your guardrails, even people who are close to you, your BFFs, your family members, maybe they necessarily aren't going to encourage you to, to hold on to those guardrails. In our culture, we hear things like, drink responsibly, which is good news, except that what does that mean? You know, if you drink responsibly, if you drink at some point, you become so inebriated, you're not really a responsible person, and so I'm not really sure responsible, responsible drinkers know how to be responsible when they're irresponsible and they're drinking, so I'm not really sure if that is a really good thing to live by, but it, it, it's good, it's just not a guardrail, right? How about this one? Um, we tell teenagers, uh, college students too, but particularly teenagers, um, when it comes to sex, we say, wait until you're ready. Now, I don't know what kind of uh, advice that is, but I know in, in this room, maybe some of you think, well, I was born ready. So I don't know how uh, realistic that, uh, that is the suggestion. It's good advice, but it's a suggestion. It's not really a guardrail. And here's one that we hear all the time. Consolidate your debts. Consolidate your debts. The assumption is you're going to get debt, you're going to accumulate things and stuff, and, and at some point you're going to need to consolidate it. Again, pain in mind, not necessarily the best financial advice, not a guardrail. And then, you know, listen to your heart, which is terrible advice, don't ever, ever do that. Worst advice. But again, our culture, um, there's resistance to rules, because the truth is, no one likes to be told no. I don't like to be told no. Do you like to be told no? I don't know. I like to get but um, the culture not only doesn't uh, tell you, you know, if you have guardrails, they, they diss your guardrails. Culture disses the guardrails. You're not going to get applause. You're not going to become the most popular person in school or in office, um, or maybe even in your family when you establish guardrails. So our culture doesn't encourage guardrails, but at the same time, they'll shame us and mock us when we end up in a ditch. Okay? Financially, or morally, in our marriages. So there's this illustration that um, I was brought to, to light um, when it comes to this. When I, when I graduated from college, I worked at Charles Schwab. I had my Series 7, and I was uh, working in the initial public offerings department and um, trading on the New York Stock Exchange, a little piece of my past.
past there. And I was preparing for uh, my wedding to John. And I say I was because he proposed, and two months later he moved to Maryland and left me to plan it. <coughs> the plan there. It worked out great. If you've been married, you know it's actually kind of cool when you can do it without the input of the man. Anyway, um, but I remember uh, serving in this uh, this department, and I was the youngest broker there, and I worked with uh, a man who was 20 years my senior, and he had been married for 23 years. And uh, I said, do you have any advice? You know, I'm about to get married. And um, he said, um, he said, Here, here's my advice. He said, uh, don't go anywhere alone with someone from the opposite sex. He said, uh, have to, if you're going to go out to eat, make sure you grab two other people with you, if it's someone from the opposite sex. He said, put up that kind of protection around your marriage. And I thought that was really interesting, and it's something that we've, um, John and I have both tried to kind of steer, uh, live into that throughout our marriage. But I learned um, that this actually had a, has a term. Um, it's called the Billy Graham Rule. Back in the 60s, it became known that Billy Graham had this rule. And it was the same rule where he would ride in a car alone with the woman. He would have a meal alone with the woman. Other than his wife, um, he would meet uh, in a place where people didn't know he was meeting with another woman or behind closed doors. That was his rule, and so it became known as the Billy Graham Rule. And then it became known as the Mike Pence rule because our vice president, it was discovered, applied the same rule in his life. And when people found out about this, they went berserk. And the reason, and there are reasons why, because this rule, and we are going to talk about this in a couple weeks, um, it's been misapplied and it has been misused. But the truth is, many married men and many married women have applied this rule for years. And when it became known that our vice president didn't travel alone, meet privately, or eat alone with women other than his wife or family members, he was mocked and ridiculed. But at the same time, the people that would mock and ridicule someone with that standard would turn around, and what would they say if a man cheated on his wife? Or a woman cheated on her husband? They'd call him a home record. This terrible, terrible person. And so, you know, we um, we have these standards, these double standards, and it's been that the Billy Graham rule has been mischaracterized, it's been misused, it's been it's been uh, used to abuse power, to abuse women, to keep women out of roles in the church, in in our corporate world. We'll come back to that later, and it's really controversial, but um, it's a guardrail. And and here's the point all, all for all this: when we opt for guardrails in our lives, you may not be celebrated now but you will have fewer regrets in life. And this is not a new idea. It's not something we've just come up with. Um, it's been around for a long time. And in fact, both the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about setting up standards and boundaries. And today, I want to take us to a, a passage in Scripture. It's Paul's letter to the Ephesians, found in chapter 5, uh, 15. And I want to set it up a little bit here to let you know what's going on in this in this part. Okay? He says, he, he's, uh, he's just finished telling Christians and um, ancient Ephesus <clears throat> that there are things they should stay away from, um, behaviors to avoid, and then he says there are things that we should do and behaviors we should embrace. And then he says to the audience, and, and, and they're listening to him, and they're, they're, they're saying, okay, this is really good, so how do we do it? How do we do it? And he realizes that they need a little more than just these ideas. He gives them something to hold on to. 
And so he goes into how to live in such a way that we don't end up in a ditch as it relates to finances, morality, just about any area of life that um, would, uh, could, could ruin us. And so Ephesians chapter 5, it says, like, and I'm going to go slowly through this because I really want us to savor what's going on here. It says, be very careful then how you live. This is, the, this is the standard of living that Jesus' followers have um, are set, that we're set for Jesus' followers. Um, but even if you're not a Jesus follower, even if you're not quite sure what to believe here, this is really sound advice. This is very, very wise, very, very good wisdom. So it says, be very careful in how you live. And that little Greek word, live, um, translated literally means walk. Um, in other trans, uh, translations of the Bible, it says, be very careful in how you walk. And if you have a large dog in a small backyard, you understand what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Right? I mean, you let the dog out to do their thing, and you are very careful where you walk in your small backyard after your large dog has been there. You're careful how you look, how you step. And that's the idea behind this. He says, look around, be careful, be cautious. And then he continues, and he says, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, wisdom here is the decision-making standard. This is what they're going to use. Because um, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it talks about uh, walking wisely. And, and, and it's better than, walking wisely is better than just right or wrong. Right? Sometimes it's, it's hard to know what's right and what's wrong. Sometimes that gets a little fuzzy for us. But when you ask yourself this question, not, not what is right or what is wrong, but what is wise? What is the wise thing to do? Suddenly, there's a little more clarity in how to proceed there. The wisdom question brings clarity, and, it, and here's, here's a way to phrase it. In light of my past experience, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do right now? I'm going to say that again. In light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do in this situation? So then the apostle says, be careful how you live, how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. And then he says, making the most of every opportunity. Literally, meaning uh, redeeming the time. That is, as you live your life, time is a limited asset, right? It's our most valuable commodity. We don't know how much we have left. We might know much how much we have in our bank account. Some of us don't even want to know that. But um, we don't know how much time we have left. So he says, be very careful what you do with your time. And it kind of reminds us, don't we all have that thing we wish we could just go back and redeem? You know, go back and, and reclaim that time that we have wasted. Go back and review our freshman year or that first year of marriage, or seventh year of marriage, or that one night, I can just go back and have a do-over. And he says, you already know what happens when you're not careful with your time, right? So, so as you live, don't live as unwise, but live as wise, and pay attention to how fast time's flying. Because, and he says something here, he says, because the days are evil, this is 2,000 years ago. He's talking to like 50, 100 people 
in Ephesus, and he says, you're living in dangerous times. So you can't just walk around and not pay attention. He said, be careful how you walk, because the days are evil. You cannot afford to be careless. How many of you have ever had to take a defensive driving class? You don't have to answer, it's okay. <laughs> but what is defensive driving all about? It's a learning about paying attention not only to what you're doing, but what everybody else is doing. And that's Paul's point. He said, be careful how you live, because if you're not careful, you might end up someplace you don't want to be. What did your parents tell you when they taught you to drive? Or whoever taught you, your uncle or your grandpa, what did they tell you? They said, you got to look out for the other people. The other people. You live in a culture where it's not simply enough to just pay attention to what you're doing. We have to look at what other people are doing, what the culture is calling us to, what other people are inviting us to. And then he says, therefore, do not be foolish. Don't approach life as if it's all disconnected and doesn't match or doesn't, one thing doesn't affect the other. Because what happens today does impact tomorrow. It does impact our future. He says, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And understand is, uh, is a Greek text. It's an imperative, which may have just um, refreshed my memory on what those are. It's a, it's a declaration. It's saying, um, understand. Face up to it. Acknowledge. Embrace. Be honest with yourself. Stop deceiving yourself. Come on. You know what the wise thing to do is. You know your past. You know your propensity towards certain things. So be honest with yourself. <coughs> be honest with the person in the mirror. And if you're, a Christian, if you're a Christian, face up to what you know God's will is for your life. You know what God's calling you to. You know what you need to do to ensure that you do what you make sure you ensure that you do what you ought to do. Where you're dancing on the line. You know where you're flirting with that disaster. You've had a couple near misses and you've had a couple of close calls and Paul's saying, come on, understand, be honest. You know you, right? And then he gives us an illustration. This is a one thing that leads to the other illustration. And uh, this is really powerful. These next couple of verses talk about a, a topic that might have been a little misunderstood. And so I'm really glad that we're going to spend some time talking about it today. You see, in guardrails, we discover that uh, the guardrails are the one thing that keep us from another. As wise people understand this, he says, let me give you an example of what I mean by be careful of how you live and what it means to walk in wisdom. And then he moves on to this. He says, do not get drunk on wine. Now, this is his illustration, and, and you need to know that in the first century, in fact, in almost all of ancient times, uh, wine was actually safer than water. We were just talking about this the other day. You can imagine what they stored water in and imagine how long they stored water in. And in those days, they didn't know much about bacteria, but what they did know is that drink water that had been um, stored for a long time, you could get sick. Like, real sick. And the truth is, wine can make you drunk, but water could make you dead. Right? So it's a real thing. He's saying, um, uh, you need to know that water wine was safer to drink than water. For us, water is safe, 
So this is different for us, but back then his, his uh, audience would have known the difference. But this is the one thing that leads to the other. And this is what he says. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to, hold on, don't go forward. Because um, that's the point. One thing leads to another. And so when you see this, um, I want you to fill in the blank. Do not get drunk on blank, which leads to blank. Does anything come to mind for you? Do you know anybody who wishes that? Do not get drunk. Was a guardrail? Because of what it led to? In fact, chances are, in this congregation, in this room today, your life would be completely different if your mom or dad had stayed sober. Now think about that. Their life would surely have been different, but your life would have been different. And we're not going to spend this whole message talking about alcohol, but I just want to make one more statement while we're here, because we don't go here very often. This is a delicate statement. But this is it. If more than one person in your life has told you that you drink too much, you do. You probably do. If that loved one in your life has told you that you drink too much, you do. Okay, move on. Back to Paul. Problem with getting drunk. That was kind of heavy, I'm sorry. Whew, you can take a, take a breath, but it's real stuff here, guys. The problem with the context of this passage is not, it, it, the problem with getting drunk is what it leads to. Drunk is the guardrail. For some of you in this room, it's the goal. But really, um, for the Apostle Paul, drunk is the guardrail. And it can be funny, and it can be fun, but... It's not so funny when it goes too far, right? Right up to the point where someone mirrors off the median and that college student realizes that they can't stop when everyone else stops. Everyone else can quit. I just can't seem to quit. And suddenly, what was a pastime becomes a pathway for somebody and has the potential to wreck and ruin a life. And they look back and say, if only I had established something in light of my past experience, and in light of my dad's past experience, or my mom's past experience, or my grandparents, or my family's past experience, in light of what's going on in my family history, in light of my current situation, and what I hope for my future, where does the guardrail, where does that guardrail need to be for me on this issue? Guardrails, like we said, are not in the danger zone, they're in the safety zone. So where in the safety zone does that guardrail need to be for me on this issue? And the culture mocks us and laughs us and then disses us when we find out we have a drinking problem. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Uh, that's primarily a sexual indulgence that um, comes as a result of a lack of self-control. But really, any kind of indulgence which lacks or loss of self-control. And once again, it points back to the value and the power of what we're talking about in this series. Because guardrails safeguard us from handing over our control to someone or something else. 
And then he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. And okay, up until this point, everything Paul has said is just really good wisdom for anyone. Good rule of life. But then he changes it here, and this is where he begins to leverage what he believes about Jesus and about what God did. That he sent Jesus to earth as his only son to live and model a life for us. And that he believed who Jesus said he was and that he was a member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, do not be drunk with wine which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the Spirit. And in the New Testament, it teaches that when, when a person puts their faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in them in some mysterious ways. And where we experience the Holy Spirit is in our conscience. You know that, like, that voice, just that inside you. He says, instead of giving over control of your life to anything or anyone, whether it's alcohol or being a workaholic, finances or, or greed or a hobby or an affair or a person, instead of giving over control of your life to anything or anyone, submit your life to the nudging and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. See, when we become believers, the Holy Spirit moves into our conscience. Now everybody, pretty much everybody, has a, has a conscience, unless you're a sociopath. But the strange thing happens um, when you become a Christian, it's like your conscience uh, becomes fine-tuned to just a whole different level, different way of thinking, different way of moving. And the Holy Spirit doesn't scream and yell and jump up and down, and he's not some scary ghost. It's not some, she's not some scary ghost, whatever the theology is around the Holy Spirit. Um, but it just kind of taps on your conscience. It's that, uh, 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 just hold on. It's a gentle nudge. So you're about to pick up the phone to answer a call, you maybe shouldn't, and you hear a, uh, uh, uh. Or you're about to hit send on a text that she knows out of bounds. We're about to go left instead of going right, going home where you're supposed to be. That's that Holy Spirit in us. So here's what Paul says, and we're wrapping up here. He says, careful then how you live. Be careful where you walk, where you step, not as unwise but wise, making the most of every opportunity. And why? Because the days are evil and they're, they're numbered. And the culture is not working for you. It's working against you. And he says, don't be foolish. Don't live as life is, dis as life is disconnected. Or, but understand what the Lord's will is for you. Now over the next couple weeks, we're going to come back to this over and over. Because here's the truth. Nobody plans to wreck their lives any more than they plan to wreck their car. Nobody plans to wreck their finances or their families or their relationships any more than they plan to wreck their car. We just don't plan not to. Guardrails are how we plan not to. There's a sense in which guardrails are the equivalent to defensive living. Now, I know what you're saying, and many of us have said the same thing. I'll be careful. I know when enough is enough. I know when to stop. But guardrails are how you are careful. And we'll close with this. Um, I said at the beginning, guardrails direct and protect. And you'll find, even if, if you're new to faith, 
um, if you're not sure if you embrace faith or if you've been on this faith journey for a really long time, but you'll discover that it's much easier to discern God's will for your life if you have some guardrails. And here's the reason. Stepping away from what can harm you is a step toward the one who loves you. Stepping away from what can harm you is a step toward the one who loves you. And at the end of the day, this whole discussion is not about simply becoming better people. This entire discussion is about becoming surrendered people. Surrender to the God who loves you, to the God who sent his son to die for you, to be in relationship with you. And live our lives in such a way that glorifies God, our Father in heaven. Because at the end of the day, this is not just about you. It's about us. So here's the final question. Where do you need to start? What is it that you need to face up to? You know, you know, at some point, whatever it is, you're going to have to face up to it. At some point, you're, you're going to need to step back from it. What is it? Where are you flirting with disaster? Where are you driving too close to the edge? And would you be open over the next couple of weeks for to allow the Spirit of God to begin to move in your heart and help you establish some guardrails? Would you be willing to look for a hope group, to find some people to connect with? Even if you're not quite ready for a group, is there one or two people that you could connect with to say, I need help establishing guardrails? You're not meant to do this life alone. But we'll pick it up there next week. Let's go to Bamber. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the wisdom that you've given us through your word, through the disciples, through those who have gone before us. We thank you for the community gathered here today. Lord, there are some people in here who are struggling with uh, discovering where those guardrails need to be. We are all on different journeys in this space, and so I just pray that um, you pour out your grace on us, that you give us uh, the ability to pour grace on other people, grace upon grace upon grace, as we as we discern what it means to live as your sons and daughters, as a, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, give us the, uh, your, the Holy Spirit to nudge us and guide us in such a way that we don't see it coming, but give us the courage to boldly establish guardrails in spite of what people might think. Because at the end of the day, what matters is what you think. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for this opportunity. We give it all to you in the name of Jesus. At this time, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. And when you walked in today, you got the bulletin. And this is uh, the time where we would collect the connect card on the back of it. And so if you bend it and then you twist it. But you'll notice on the back side of that, before we pass that and collect it, uh, there's a place for you to ask for more information on things going on in the church. Uh, Hope 101. But I also want to let you know that uh, if you want to join a Hope group, you can check that. If you want to be connected into a, with a group of people, let us know. And then the heartbeat of Hope down there, there are some options you can let us know if you want to do that. But as you go about your day, I just 
pray that you are open to what God is doing in your life and in the life of this church. I'm going to pray over that offering and then go and pray. And God, we, as we continue worshiping you through our offering, we know that all we have is yours and that as we prepare what you are uh, putting on our hearts to give, God, I just thank you for your provision, for your abundant provision in our lives. And I, I ask that you continue to bless what you are doing in this church as we discern where you are leading us as a community. Um, give us the courage to walk boldly in, in our path. You know, you pray.